morning, good evening, good afternoon from wherever you are in the world. My name is Connor Jonas and you are listening to Season 6 of the Right on Track podcast. Season 6, Season 7, depends on what you count the movie. It's Episode 43 and we've just finished reviewing Thomas and the Magic Railroad. When I say we, I'm referring to not just myself and my multiple personalities. I'm referring to the beautiful bearded beast that is Tom Denham. Hello, how's it going? It's going good, mate. And the pedantic, goatee, book-loving man that is our in-house film critic, Tom Parry. Yes, hello, Connor. It's all true, apart from the book-loving part. I hate books. Really? Oh, we're not talking anymore. (laughs) Wow. And for the start of a new season, a start of new era of the show, we have got a good friend of ours, guest host, Lachlan. Hello there, Lachlan. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's going good. It's going good. It's going really well. Yeah, it's good yeah. to eat. Good day today? Yeah, yeah. It's been quite sunny here. Yeah, sunny. Good. Good weather. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> so, before we get into the nitty gritty of it all, Lachlan, what is your journey by rail for Thomas? Like, when, when did you first get into the show? My very first memory of Thomas the Tank Engine was um, uh, I'd go to my nan's, my nan and papa's place in uh, in Bendigo. That's that's where I lived at the time. Um, he'd record it on VHS for me, and he'd go to like the showgrounds and buy copies of. Because I think at that time um, VHS tapes were being phased out in stores, so uh, they weren't very accessible. But uh, aside from that. The very first episode I remember watching was Thomas Terrence in the Snow. Um, my older brother had a um I can't remember what kind of toy it was, but it's it's like a great big Thomas toy and he has the driver sticking out the top of it and you push the driver down and Thomas just moves forward. It's got like the big round wheels on it. Like like round as in like the like a ball or something. What what one of the interesting things um as a fan, Lachlan, um, is that you're a rail fan before Thomas fan. How was it that you came into the love of Thomas, I guess, later on, as you're already, I guess, very well cultured within the world of steam trains and trains? Uh, I have a friend, his name is Simon. Uh, and he, uh, just one day I met up with his nephew. He, um, I probably won't say his, his real name. The old guards van. We pro- we're probably all familiar Oh, yeah, with we him. are. We know that. Cheeky fellow. Yep, yep, yes. Um, we did school production together, and that's how I learned that... Actually, no, it wasn't that he would... Well, that, came, that comes after, but I stayed at his house one day because uh, I played Dungeons & Dragons with um, Simon and all his friends and family, and that's how I got to meet him. Uh, and he was telling me... Cause I, I, I watched him on his computer. He was either playing trains uh, or he was making music. Uh, he, which he's, he's very good at doing both of those. He, his music's pretty good. Um, and th- yeah, then we did the school production together and that's how I found out more about him uh, about, and his love for Thomas. And that, that, you know, that started to get me back into it just a little bit. Then, however, I went on a little trip to Melbourne to um, a steam rail event back in 2020. Um, oh, I'm always pretty bad at explaining this story. Before I went to this um, event, I found out about your you guys' podcast, right? Uh, and I start, started following you guys on Instagram. 
Uh, and then I came across Tom's Instagram. I thought, oh yeah, that's cool. He does models. I'll, I'll give him a follow. And I just randomly walked into a hobby shop and I saw him one day. And I was like, oh, wow. That's, that's, I know you, that's Tom Denham. It, it was one of the most surreal experiences because it, it was at a point where we didn't know how far this podcast was going to reach. But when you meet someone on the street who listens to your your podcast that you do, it's it's quite bewildering. So an incredibly niche one at that. Like, yeah, you you've pro- it's one of those podcasts where you've got to be in the know to already know what's going on. I remember when Denim messaged Parry and I, going, "Someone just recognised me from the podcast on the street." That for me was very much a moment of whilst. Parry and I weren't the ones there being recognised. It was still, like, a magical experience for me. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I could definitely sense that from Tom as well. Tom was real jittery and excited. Dude, like, like, this is this is just, like, some random dude, but, I, like, even I was starstruck and I didn't even really know you guys that well. Like, I, I went back to my hotel room like, oh my god, I just met, I, I don't know this guy very well, but I just met someone from the Right on Track podcast. <laughs> and they went, did you say the Right on Track podcast? And they all lost their minds. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a nice little humble pat on the back experience. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that was that was good fun. Good times. Um, but then from there, uh, I went back home and I told the old guardsman about it. And he was like, oh, I talk to him like all the time. And then... Um, you know, I was added to our uh, big old Discord server, the Aussie Discord server, and then I got to know you guys a bit better, and that's how I've ended up here. And that's that's how I suppose my love for Thomas and steam engines and all sorts of all things like that have uh, uh, you know expanded, like you know, like gotten bigger. That that that's that's through uh, not to be typical or anything, but like through friendship and things like that. Typical Thomas fashion. Mm, I suppose the moral of the story here is that stalking pays off, children. <laughs> and, and okay, okay. If you want to meet your heroes, listen to the Right on Track podcast. Absolutely. And uh, so, so, so you can say, Lachlan, that your entire love of Thomas the Tank Engine, at least to the modern day, is one hundred and ten percent connected to only the podcast, right? Right. Um. Yes. Yes, Connor. Whatever you See? say, Connor. <laughs> Now, like, like you, you do models and stuff as well, don't you? Oh, yeah. Um, I've been uh, collecting and playing with and messing around with model trains for, oh, I think, oh, it, it, just, just like most hobbies, you, you, grow, you, you start off with a hobby and you grow out of it and you go back into it. Now, I suppose that's been a thing with uh, model trains my whole life, maybe? Um. I got my first model train when I was like seven or eight. And I think I got another one for Christmas that year. Uh, and then I just kind of didn't touch them. And then I think I got my first Hornby uh, Flying Scotsman when I, were, when I turned 13. And then I kind of put it down. Uh, th- that was the later years of primary school. And then I went to high school. And then I, it was about uh, when I turned 17 or 18. I kind of picked up the Flying Scotsman again and started, you know, pulling it apart, messing about with it and then I wanted to look more into it like see how it works and then from there I was exposed to more things more about railways and this is probably where um my knowledge for prototypical things really took off um because I wanted to find out more about the real life things and historical events and whatnot 
and then um yeah uh i've started buying more and i haven't looked back since are there any particular um people i guess within because you're quite you've got a little bit of british flair but i think you have quite a um versed approach in an australian model railroading um i, I said model railroading <laughs> model railways <laughs> um are, are there any particular figureheads in that community that you look up to when you're creating your own work? The more well-known ones, like, you know, Sam's Trains, obviously, the he's big into... That, that's probably what got me more into British ones uh, because, I mean, I already had a collection to start off with of British ones. I was like, oh, well, in for a penny, in for a pound, I guess, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but then I think... I can't remember where it was. I, I can't pinpoint exactly where it was that I started looking more inward to um, Victorian railways in particular. Uh, oh, actually, no. I think it was when, um, I think it was that event I went to where I, where I met you the, day, the few days before, Tom, um, down in Newport. Yeah, yeah. That's probably where I started looking more into Victorian railways and things. But uh, as to, in terms of, like, uh, people in the Victorian or... Just Australian model railways, I suppose. Luke Towen, he's good. He does um, scenery and things more more than just railways, like scenery. Uh, who else is there? Uh, someone that's relatively new in the Victorian railways scene is Will James. He's cool. Yes, yeah, he's a great guy. I've he's got good. one of his um, Metro pin badges. Yeah, I'm gonna look at getting some pins soon. I, I quite like the look of them. Uh Aside from the it, Victorian railway stuff is actually quite a small niche thing, but it's starting to get bigger, and I like that. Um, and it's pe- it's people like that. Uh, that that that's probably what I, what I aim to do is like to get model trains, you know, more exposure. I want I, like I, I'm not saying I want to be these people. I want to just be one of those people that hmm. gets you know gets more traction into, especially Victorian models. So you know, they're just more out there, I suppose, well-known. It, it's a bit broad how I'm explaining it, I suppose. For sure, for sure. And finally, before we get into the episodes, what do you reckon, um, b- because you've kind of come on this full circle journey, what do you reckon uh, continues to nurture your appreciation for Thomas? Oh, uh, it's definitely um, the friends I've made. Absolutely, it's the friends I've made. Uh, I... I uh, I think it was uh, I was going through some stuff at the time uh, when I uh, had that trip down to Melbourne. Um, I just, you know, would come home from work a bit sad, a bit mopey, and like, oh, just chuck on an episode of Thomas, and you know, you know, just just watching something from my childhood and feeling that nostalgia uh, just fills you with a bit of happiness, a bit. Um, and I, I, I suppose by proxy from that, like, I'd start to notice things as an adult, like, oh, that's cool. I'll go look into that a bit. And, you know, uh, and then since joining Twitter as well, I'd find things out and that would just spark my interest even more. And then, you know, just brought me even more into Thomas, I suppose. Hook, line and sinker. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what really got me. Well, on the topic of uh, fishing in the sea, I believe we should start Ooh. moving to what episodes we're covering today. So, Parry. What's going to be happening? Well, in today's episode of the Right on Track podcast, we're going to be talking about the first three television stories from Series 6 
of the program. They are Salty Secret, Harvey to the Rescue, and No Sleep for Cranky. I like what I like what you did there, Connor. That was that was pretty clever. <laughs> <laughs> and what is important to note here is that we are now in the twenty first century of Tom. That is correct. That's right. Series six uh, was first released sixteenth September two thousand and two. Yeah, these... Wait, hang on. These episodes came out after both of us were born? We're both the same age, aren't we, Connor? Yeah. Yeah, ooh, that's that's pretty exciting. Like, 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 like when I've, I've made it... I've mentioned it before. I'm 20 now. But, like, I mean, finally, these are episodes younger than I am. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, we've got Denim and Parry here. I remember when Series oh, 5 came out. Mm, we're older than Google. That must have been exciting times, though. Like, season five was incredible. All the merchandising back then. Oh, seeing Busy going backwards for the first time ever. Oh. Mm. And, yeah. And, and, like, other things mm. is, is, like, much like with season five, is that it had, like, strong input on new writing style and the way that things were shot. And we definitely mm-hmm. say that here in series six. And that is because series six is a massive time for change. Oh yeah. Often, mm. when you hear about the eras of Thomas, you typically will have the classic era, which will stretch up to at least series five, at most series seven. But I always feel that series six is when it begins to change because it's when Britt Allcroft stepped down as deputy chairman and director of the Thomas Company and instead became executive producer. Uh, it's the first series as Phil Furl as being producer. Peter Yuri, his first series as being executive producer. The first series as Steve Asquith as director. And the first series with a proper writing team now. Consisting of Robin Kinsland, Paul Larson, James Mason, Brian Truman, Robin Chateris, Jenny McDade and Abby Grant who acted as script editor and head writer. It is... I was running up on this episode. Uh, I mean, this episode alone, the first episode we're going to look at, was a lot of firsts in terms yeah. of writing and uh, uh, production and things like that. Another remarkable uh, difference about this episode is that this is the first time in five seasons that we've had a different approach to the title sequence as well. Exactly. Starting instead with a shot of Thomas, Annie and Clarabelle going by a very snowy windmill scene. Oh, is that when that happened? Mm-hmm. Yes. I remember watching it, but I could never pinpoint what like particular season or anything it was. Mm, it, it appeared Series 6 and Series 7, and then when they started re-releasing it, something else changed. Oh. Because this is the last series to feature the red text in the title sequence that says, Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends before a little steam cloud saying Thomas and Friends. Mm. And it's it's a very strange time as well, because all the merchandise used that Thomas and Friends logo, but the TV show hadn't quite made that transition yet. Exactly. So, let's jump right into our first episode, Salty Secret, which was written by Robin Kinsland. And, Parry, would you mind giving us a synopsis? Yeah, so... But basically, this story introduces audiences to Salty the Dockyard Diesel, and the opening narration from Michael Angelis talks about how excited he is to be on the island, and that 
you know, it's a good thing for him because islands are surrounded by sea and being a dockyard diesel, he loves the sea more than anything. And in this little clip here, we get to find out where Salty will be working for the first time. Ahoy, mateys, salty pride of the seven seas. I'm a new diesel, and I'm here to give you some help. Bill and Ben didn't think they needed any help, especially from a diesel. Welcome to Centre Island Quarry, Mavis said proudly. Salty looked all around. Everywhere he looked, he saw nothing but rocks. A quarry, he cried. There must be some mistake. I'm a dockyard diesel. You're a quarry diesel now, said Mavis, and she explained that they had to complete an important job for the fat controller. Salty was sad that he wouldn't be working by the sea, but he knew what it meant to be a really useful engine, and he set to work at once. Hold up. What? Yes, Hang that, on a second. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. Because if they're saying Bill and Ben don't need help, especially from a diesel... How long have they been working with Mavis for? Yeah, actually, on that note, Mm -hmm. Bill and Ben is working with Mavis. This is a good point, and I have a theory about this. Okay, okay. Please don't tell me your theory is going to make Thompson Murderous Railroad canon. We've already established that in our past. <laughs> we like episodes. you, Lachlan. We like you, Lachlan. Yeah, like he is a fan. See, <laughs> my theory is that um, there are periods throughout the year where the China clay works is deemed unsafe to work because of the way that the clay moves around. So there are periods of time. Um, I could even say years where. Uh, Bill and Ben and everybody who works at the China Clay Pits isn't at the quarry and they're repurposed elsewhere. And so being quarry engines, they've been sent to a Nova quarry with Mavis. Mm, But um, this completely retcons pretty much all of the Sodor history which have been built up in the past five series of the show because Bill and Ben work for the China Clay Company, the Sodor China Clay Company. It says on their sides. It does. They're not actually owned by the Pat Controller and the Northwestern Railway. And Mavis, of course, works at the Farquhar Quarry Co., which is on the other side of the island. But these engines somehow found themselves working at Centre Island Quarry. Which... Yeah, that was something I was going to bring up. What? Where's that? Well, well, it's in the centre of the island. We know that much. It, but... Yeah, but... <laughs> but is it ever referred to again as Centre Island Quarry? Well, if you do look into further seasons where this very quarry is used and it transcends into the CGI series, we know that it's Mavis's quarry, which is a Nova quarry at the end of Thomas's branch line. So I think it's still a Nova quarry, but I think for a period of time, maybe there's a change in management and they decide to rename the quarry for that period of time Ah, that's a good theory it it could very Mm. much be that following you know period of time the farquhar quarry company they've decided to expand because no longer are they just working at farquhar in fact we see in later seasons of the show you get more mainline engines big heavy ones appearing there so it could very much be that there is now 
a new mainline connection. And it's no longer just the Farquhar or Nofa Quarry. It is the Centre Island Quarry, which mm. it's a new marketing term, a marketing strategy to get more people going to the Centre Island Quarry. Instead of mm. stuttering over the Farquhar. One And extending off that, do you reckon that it's within reason that either Sir Topham Hat has made a loan with Bill and Ben or he now runs the China Clay Quarry as well? Mm, I, th- I think there's a simpler explanation to all this, and that's ju- just that continuity goes completely out the window in Series 6, and we don't need to worry about it. I mean, continuity continuity already went out the window with uh, Tolls of the Magic Railroad, so we well, just won't question well, yeah, it anymore. Fair point. <laughs> and, um, and continuity went out the window long before that. But, like, I mean, what I really think that we need to work through here is the full story of the episode. Hold on, hold on. Before we continue on, coming back to our main quote and Bill and Ben's prejudice against diesels. Yes. When I was was a youngster watching this episode, I often said to myself, hold on, Boko's a diesel. Oh, yeah. Surely they would. Why would they have prejudice against diesels when their friend Boko is a diesel and they're working with Mavis? (laughs) Well, it might be because something to do with uh, Boko being uh, an authoritarian figure maybe they're they're afraid of him so they just won't say oh we don't like working with diesels mm-hmm. but instead because Sol, salt is a newcomer and they don't know him yeah. they're like oh we don't like working with diesels because we don't mm. I, eh, I is that good I reasoning call boko an authoritarian figure he's, he's more like a paternal yeah, yeah, figure, a, a authority. figure. He, oh yeah still like a, a high a higher figure than uh what ben, bill and ben are and i think maybe Okay, here's two, I guess, kind of layers into folding. I think um, word about diesels outside of, I guess, the comfort of the underserved or having had, I guess, known who Devious Diesel is and Class 40, um, they probably would have gone, oh, diesels from the mainland are going to rough our feathers the wrong way. But I, I, I think in addition to that as well, uh, with, I guess, Mavis's kind of, I guess, extension of paternal nature, is that I wonder what their working relationship would have been like together when Mavis, Boko, Bill and Ben, and numerous other engines worked together during the events of Thomas and the Special Letter. But on the note of mainland diesels, actually, we know exactly who Salty is. So, Do we now? Salty is a BR class 07 diesel shunter, which most notably replaced the SR USA and the LBSC E2s, also known as Rosie's and Thomas's classes, at the Southampton oh, yes. docks. And Salty's number is D2991, which is a real engine built in 1962 and became a static generator at the Eastleigh Railway Works and is still working there today. Oh, that's interesting. But essentially, Salty very much did come from the mainland, if this is to believe. 
Mm. It would also explain why he speaks with like the West Country piratey sort of voice. It's because he is actually a dockyard diesel. Yes. Yar. Yet for some reason, dockyard. Like I, I understand engines. You know, they they can be multifaceted in what they do. I'd assume a dockyard diesel, as he is literally stated to be in the first sentence of his introduction, would, you know, maybe have some special air filters to help, you know, deal with the uh, salt sea air and whatnot, yet they put him in a dusty quarry? Well, well, they've got to test him. They've got to see how well he does at his job before he can go on and be the station pilot at Brendan. I don't see a railway board here watching him. Uh, well, they don't need to. They've got Mavis and Bill and Ben. They can vouch for him, probably. Yeah, Mavis is the watchful eye. I'd trust her. Okay, mm. okay. Mavis is the good one. Bill and Ben are bad. So, Salty arrives. Bill and Ben don't like him. Mavis is like, you'll do good work. And then Salty starts moving around the trucks. Now, we all know trucks are troublesome. We all know that freight cars are frightsome. But... Never trust trucks. For some reason, Salty is able to handle them with ease. Often singing a little ditty along, um, good old pirate sea shanties, and somehow he's able to keep good, consistent control of the cars. And yet Bill and Ben can't. Hmm. And and they get, they get a bit jealous yeah, they of they get jealous. He shares his secret with them, saying... I like working with a musical rhythm, and the trucks do too. And they still can't get it done. And Salty gets the work done. He feels sad about not being at the sea. So Topham Hat comes, goes, You've done a great job, all of you. I'm going to send you to a new place now, Salty. Salty goes, What quarry? He goes, The quarry. I'm sending you to Brendam Docks. And Salty's very happy and now works at the docks. Da 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 da. Yeah. Bomb. Like, I I know that I explained it quite quickly there, and if you were to go by play by play, this episode hasn't got much. No, it doesn't. It, it, it more, more or less that's the story. It's like Salty works in the quarry. He misses the sea. He tells Bill and Ben how to get the work done, and they don't get the work done. And then he's told he's going to work at the docks. However, how riveting. At the same time, I would say that this episode hasn't got much, like, unneeded filling. Like, you could certainly cut parts out, but it just flows well. It does, honestly. I I mean, the pacing becomes an issue in later stories in Series 6 and Series 7, but here, it's nothing but smooth. It reminds me, in a small way, of the episode with Sir Handel and George, where it was a very small story, but they were able to stretch it out in such a way that it was, you know really good Mm, mm, mm. and I think as well I think the larger thing that is to be taken into consideration is that this is the season opener it also is probably uh, being the first episode for maybe some newer younger audiences as well so I think in nature it kind of has to maintain that simplicity but with enough I guess um, edge to it that it's interesting as well. Mm, absolutely. And it should also be noted, we forgot this fact, this is the first premiere of a series not to be centred on or include Thomas in the story. Yeah. 
You you can see him moving in the background of the docks, but that's it. Yep. It, it does he even get a speaking role? I don't think no, Dogs no does. speaking role whatsoever. And in fact, hang on, Salty, Mavis, Bill, Ben, they have all been considered very much side characters. Mm. Apart from maybe mm. stories that purely focus on them, such as Heroes or Mavis. This is a story purely comprised of side characters taking place at more or less one location. And it's still really good. Mm-hmm, that it is. Like, this might be the point where they decided, oh, we have all these other characters we can write for, let's let's play around with mm-hmm. that. And that, that's, that's something I think which they sadly didn't do enough in the later seasons of the television series so we're talking like season 13 onwards is that they had all of these this huge list of expanded characters to draw upon and do stories on and yet they insisted on introducing all new characters and having stories about them you know you've got this huge pool of great characters written by the reverend audrey and his son christopher and you don't take advantage of that i mean i think i think it's strange quite frankly well, on the note of the great pool of characters, I would say Salty is a character. Well, he is. Feels, that's true. I yeah, mean, he's a great. Yes. Oh. But he also feels very railway series to me. Mm. Oh, he would work so well in the railway mm. series. I can definitely feel that David Bidden had had some kind of say in Salty's character because he's very reflective of... Um, I guess David Minnan's persona as well. Like he has a kind of jaunty, I guess, approach about him, and he's quite jovial and peppery. Mm. Mm. And like, I mean, salty. Like I, I know when I'm doing work, I sing to myself. He sings and tells stories to himself. At the start, he tells stories about how he once heaved a ship until it reached the tide, and then when he's singing, he's singing a parody of Dead Man's Chest from the 1882 book Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. Oh, is that what it, it is? It's a parody of it. I thought. Oh, okay. I thought it was based on a real, a real sea no, shanty. No, no, no. You, you get Dead Man's Chest, 1882, Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. And then you just change it to be more kid-friendly. So instead of going, you know, 15 men on a dead man's chest, yo-ho-ho yo, ho, in a bucket of bronze. It's yo-ho-ho ho, in ah. a bucket of bronze, tiller spins and the captain yawns. They just switch what way the lines go, then play mm, with the. It words. amazes me they didn't introduce that as like a promotional single or something for the upcoming series. Like, honestly, I want there to be like a full list of different songs and shanties from mm. Salty. And it, but it's amazing, and. I like okay. I like telling stories. I can relate to Salty a lot. That's why I'm the guy in charge of all the weird bits of trivia. <laughs> yes, like <laughs> I can audience. Yes, I can vouch for that. Connor loves telling stories, and they're always great stories. <laughs> and on that note, at, when the Salty is told you're going to the docks, and goes the docks, the docks are by the sea. It was, this reminds me of a time in Bimini. Now, Bimini. Is in the Bahamas, what? just south what? of Florida. Specifically, uh, Bimini is closest part to the mainland uh, United States, and it did have a railway line. However, that line was dismantled around the 1940s. Oh. 
So either Salty, when goes, this reminds me of a time in Bimini. I'm going to do the voice. This reminds me of a time in Bimini. He's referring it to either a story that he heard, or for some reason, he went to Bimini after the railway line was built? Um, removed? After the railway line was removed? I get the sense that maybe he had a, a fellow dockyard friend on the mainland that would have mm. potentially worked in Bimini, or maybe it's a story that's kind of trailed along the seven seas. It could have been that that he was on a ship and went there. However, as revealed in season 19 episode, he's never been on a ship before. Mm, Or maybe it was like Family Guy where he was trying to set up a cutaway gag that doesn't connect in it. That's (laughs) it. Laugh track. (laughs) 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 But I... I, This episode, it's got... It's the start of a new era of Thomas. More or less. It's got so many... Well, it, it, it's like it's like it, in between, Connor, because it's like the start of a new era and it's like the end of an older one because it was after this mm. we got two more series of David Mittenhelmed episodes and then, yeah, we moved yeah. on. It's a bit of a weird crossroad. Mm. It It is. And despite it being... A story that feels short and simple, it feels like it flows really nicely. Mm. It has got a brilliant new character. Mm-hmm. Brewing bits of writing with obviously a fair amount of research, considering that they went, what is a good sea-related place and put in Bimini, of all places? Mm-hmm. That's the thing I like about Thomas. It's, it's all the little things that you don't think about, but when you look more into, it's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. I really like this episode. Oh. So I say we go to Raiders. All right, and Connor, you start. Oh, oh before we do. Oh, sorry, before we Lachlan, do, yes. I just, I just want to point out one thing that didn't make sense to me, right? So Thomas got his branch line by, say, rescuing James, right? Yes. Duck got his branch line. Oh, you did good work today. Here's a, here's a branch line for you. <laughs> Salty more or less got to work at the docks for doing the exact same thing. Oh, you did a good job at a place you didn't really want to be. So we're going to let you go to the quarry now. I mean, to the to the docks now. And he's like, oh yeah, that's cool. No, not another quarry. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I mean, like I, I could kind of see like the fat controller's thinking. He's probably looking at engines like Edward and Duck, who have their own branch lines, and he's saying. These engines with good worth ethics, I'm going to reward them and make them, I guess, the kind of the governing factor of a, a stretch of line. Yeah, like, to be fair, he's become all of a sudden the main shunter at the docks. It, it just never made sense to me because because Dom, Thomas, Thomas did uh, a heroic thing by saving, uh, uh, like, saving James after he had that accident. And it kind of sets the president, like, Oh, you got to do something big and brave, and uh, you know, uh, above and beyond to be able to have such a responsibility. But then, salty. I mean, I suppose salty kind of did a good, like, uh, did not so much above and beyond, but he did a good job at uh, at, the, at the quarry. He did. He was doing. It was working with something he loves, and that's the trucks. He was singing along to them. But it's, it still doesn't make sense that 
Oh, you've done a good job. Well, well let's your, not forget yard. that when it comes to the end of the story there, the Pat Controller was surprised that the job had been completed. He simply came to the quarry to check up on how the engines were doing, and then he discovers that, hold, hold on, the job that I've sent them here to do has been done. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. And, and I also would like to say that in Thomas's case, he's got a full branch line with multiple stations, multiple yards, taking both trucks and passengers. While Salty, he's now essentially gone from the job of, what, ju- just working as engine mm. to station pilot, which is what Thomas was before he saved ah. James. Mm. That's so a good it- point. I wouldn't say it's as much as a leap, but I would definitely say the docks mm. are a big, important place. Yeah. I, I, I can certainly see. If you remember in the past, um, the docks or the harbour was managed by the forces of Percy and Duck, and they struggled to do the work themselves mm. alone because they had their own commitments. Percy was on Thomas's branch line. Duck had his own branch line. So they were probably overworked, and they were probably looking for an engine to fulfil that criteria oh, and position. And that's probably why Salty's been sent there in the first place, because the Fat Controller knows, oh, he works well with trucks, and he's a dockyard diesel. He can do the work of two engines, so we'll just bring him over. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh. hey, why not as a trial run, instead of it being a railway board, that it's like a thing of, we need him, we, we're going to test him. It's, listen, just so he gets familiar with the island, and working with trucks, let's put him in this hmm. not-so-intensely-controlled area, so, which is the quarry, Just which isn't as more. high stakes as the docks, hmm. but you can still test him there. Right. Hmm. But that, that's actually <laughs> a really good... I'm, I'm going to note that down. Hang on. <laughs> right, you are. The other thing I think we have to acknowledge at this point as well, I think beyond this episode and this season, I think Salty becomes quite a prolific character within the Thomas brand. I went through a list of seasons that he returns in. He returns in just about every single season right up till the end of the CGI season, I think, besides one season, yeah, correct. I think. He's, he's a staple character. He, he fits incredibly well into the show. Absolutely, and I does. think like as 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 we eventually find out in later episodes, like he becomes a part of the crew with Cranky, um, and much later on Porter, Carly, and Big Mickey. Um, it, it's nice that there's the beginning roots of a little family here. Mm. I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, I I do have one question though, because. We know Salty is a dockyard diesel who loves to work by the sea. And he goes to the quarry and he's sad that he's working at the quarry. What on earth is Salty's secret? What is the secret that Salty is keeping? Well, it's the trucks. It's that's his he... secret. Yeah. Oh, is that the secret? Yes, that's the secret. Did you not pay attention during the story, Connor? Hang on, hang on, I... hang on, hang on, hang on. The secret is he, he prefers to work at the no, sea? No, 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 the secret is to do with the trucks. How he uses music working oh, to a rhythm. Right. And then he tells his secret the Bill and Ben well. and they can't get their heads around it. I always thought his secret was that, you know, he was too shy to speak up and go, 
I don't like working here. <laughs> I thought that was his secret. I quote the end of the episode, and only the trucks know his secret. Ah, mm. right. There you go. I... <laughs> I am a fool. Mm. With that denim, as you were saying... And with that, uh, what are our ratings for this episode? Connor, start us off. <laughs> Goodness sake. Okay, okay. The story flows well. Title is confusing, but I think that's just due to my own issues. Um, it is a really sweet episode with lots of good details. Story flows well. I... I can't find too much to nitpick about it, apart from maybe how, like, the lighting looks off in some places. So I'm going to rate it a 9 out of 10. It's really creative in what it's done. It's got four side characters and created a really interesting story. And it's immediately set my expectations for what the rest of the series should be. So, yeah, 9 out of 10. Lachlan? Um, well... Yeah, no, I totally agree. The, the the pacing was the pacing was fine. It was uh, nice and easy to understand. It wasn't there was no underlying subplot or anything. There was no mess, no fuss. It was just Salty likes working by the sea. We're putting him in the quarry. He likes uh, he he's a bit disappointed. He works with the trucks. He does a good job. We're going to send him to the quarry. Oh yeah, I'm sent to the quarry. I mean, oh, I'm going to get this confused all the time. The dockyard. He's sent to the docks. There, there's there's nothing <laughs> else. There's no mess about it. So. Uh, Rock, rock, sea. sea, rock, sea, rock, sea. No, 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 Roxy. Oh, I once, yeah, knew yeah, a girl named Roxy. cute barista that works down. Oh, the yeah, that one. <laughs> okay, yeah. you parry. Oh, I haven't given my rating yet. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> getting ahead of yourself, Connor. Uh, Steady on. Um, uh, oh, 8.5. I'll give it an 8.5 out of 10. Right, over to me, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I can only echo the sentiments of everybody else. It's a simple, straightforward story. My only issue with the story is the characterisation of Bill and Ben and this prejudice of Diesel's, which has come out of nowhere and it really makes no sense at all. And it doesn't really even feed into the main conflict all that much. So I'm looking at a 7 out of 10 for this series opener. You watch. Tom will give it a... Low rating because it doesn't fit with his canon of uh, Tamar. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> the Central <laughs> actually first appeared in Thomas and the Magic Railroad. It's where the magic buffers are and the big statue Cut. of Cranky is. Yeah. yeah. The big Not statue cranky, of Cranky. Pinchy. Do you mean Diesel pinchy 10? Diesel 10, yeah. Pinchy? Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, see, it's canon. Um... Oh, right, okay. My mistake. <laughs> I, 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 I do like this episode. Um, it hits a lot of sweet spots. It's really nice seeing Bill and Ben team up with Mavis. I think that's a rather unique dynamic that we get to see more of eventually. Um, and it's the first time we see it featured in an episode. I think Salty as a character is quite lovely. And I think he fits really well into this dynamic, uh, which is really cool. And I think overall, um, I guess from the beginning to the end of this episode, it definitely feels really new. It feels like the scale of um, what the modelling team can do is a lot larger, um, which is really cool to admire. Um, so, 
We're about to see a whole lot more of that modeling aspect in the next episode. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it, it's, it's exciting to, I guess, see Thomas enter the 21st century. Um, and for that reason, I'm going to give it a eight out of 10. Okay. It seems to be a solid high scoring episode. So, Lachlan, what are we going to be discussing next? The next episode we're going to be discussing is Harvey to the Rescue. Yeah, this is a pretty solid episode. Harvey's a pretty interesting basis for a character, I reckon. Okay then, so Harvey to the Rescue is introducing another newcomer to Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. It is Harvey the Crane Engine, who has freshly arrived off the boat and is on the island of Sodor. And within 24 hours, he's going to be doing a demonstration for the railway board. And if it goes well, he shall be joining the railway. But as we hear in this clip here, not all of the engines are particularly pleased about Harvey coming to the island. That evening, Thomas had just returned from a hard day's work. He saw Harvey parked near the sheds. Harvey could hear the other engines talking about him. This made him sad. Harvey's different, said Henry. He doesn't even look like an engine, said Edward. Surely the fat controller won't let him pull coaches, sniffed Gordon. He's just cranky on wheels, said James. He's not taking my mail, said Percy. Thomas felt sorry for Harvey. Don't worry, sometimes it takes time to make new friends. But Harvey wasn't sure he wanted to stay where no one wanted him. I don't like that clip. I I understand that Harvey is a weird engine. His basis is weird. He's based on a Dubs crane engine number 4101, nicknamed Dubsy, uh, which is currently on the Foxfield Railway in Staffordshire, England. But for some reason, in this one clip here, the writer, Jonathan Truman has had all the main cast be so out of character. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, Edward in particular, I mean, he's not a prejudiced... No, if anything, Thomas and Edward probably should have swapped places. Edward should have been the one consoling uh, Harvey, saying, you know, takes time to make friends. That would make a lot more sense, yeah. I can see Harvey being snobbish and saying he's different. Gordon being protective of his express, James just saying he's cranky on wheels, and Percy being the little young kid that's being very peer-pressured into this discriminatory situation. Hang on, did you say Harvey or Henry? Henry. Because I heard Henry? Harvey. Henry? You, re- you really I heard hope it? I said Henry. Henry. <laughs> What is with all the whys? Yes. So, Seriously. So it's like Harvey, Salty, Cranky, Henry. You know, it's like a Dr. Seuss book. Rosie. <laughs> Rosie. Oh, gee, thanks, Tom. Why, but still an E. Bertie. Uh, it's hard. Anyways, anyways, anyways. Mm. <clears throat> but Edward. I agree with you, Parry. Edward should not be in there. Edward and Thomas could switch. Hmm. Mm. Um, what else happens in this story? Uh, oh, yes. Well, uh, so later, after the Fat Controller consoles Harvey about him coming to the island, we see Percy out on the branch line having trouble with trucks, and he we know it, it's Duck's branch line, and we know this because 
he comes off the rails at Baldi's Bridge. Yes. Yes, he does. And as him and his trucks come off the rails, he sadly also delays Bertie. Who is carrying the very important people that are going to watch Harvey do his demonstration. Mm. Which begs the question as to where was this demonstration mm. being held? So, was it like Arlesdale at the very end of the line? Or was it... Hmm. Yeah, I'd say Arlesborough. Arlesborough? Arlesborough is held? where uh, Ducks Branch Line ends and the miniature railway begins. True. True. And, hey, I guess if you're there, yes. you know, be lifting lighter, smaller trucks... And smaller trucks going to smaller rails means more pre- mm. precision. <laughs> I, I, I'd go with that. Or go with Tidmouth slash Knapford, depending on what canon you like to follow, as a bigger station with lots of yard room that you can <laughs> run a demonstration. What's a demonstration? Oh, sorry, a demonstration? Well, a deputation. Uh, th- th- this mm. episode, it's got a few nice references in it. First of all, it's got Bulgy's Bridge, as we mentioned. When the fat controller's... But not bulgy. No, not bulgy. It, when the fat controller's talking about the gentleman from the railway board uh, showing off uh, Harvey at a demonstration, you have a deputation reference when Percy asks Thomas, mm-hmm. what's a demonstration? I never realised that. You have Bertie drawing reference to the race that he and Thomas did. Varum, varum. We, we all know that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it's lots of nice little sort of intertwining bits that I feel would come about naturally. Mm. I, I, I can absolutely see, you know, Percy still being confused by these things and Bertie just loving the race. It's the one thing he clings to. <laughs> it's his claim the fame And he lost it But it put him in the book Remember it, it, that time it, it, I raced Thomas And I lost Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> But but um, Anyways Of course By pure chance Bertie's got the gentleman from the railway board And Harvey's sent to help Who then delivers a wonderful uh, Demonstration Thank you. As mm-hmm. he lifts Percy and the trucks back onto the tracks. And the gentlemen of the railway board are very pleased. Mm, the that's it. Yeah, well, well, not quite, because there's a little yeah. epilogue at the end where Harvey's back at Tidmouth Sheds and all the other engines are complimenting him on the good work he did, and then it's the end of the episode. Yeah. On that note, though, what is the moral of the story? Because... Well, don't be prejudiced. Simple. Different is cool. (laughs) It's okay to be different and don't be prejudiced. However, from all the engines previously going, you know, Harvey's different. Doesn't look like an engine. Hope you can't pull my coaches. Then you have them all going, well done, Harvey. Very useful. You can take my mail. Welcome to the Sodor Railway. Mm -hmm. It very much feels like that the moral is almost... If you're different but not useful, we don't want you. Yes, you have proven yourself worthy, young child. Take my cloak. Does anyone um, else see that? Yeah. yeah okay, so it's um, one against three. Right, that's it, it, fine. 
Ah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's subtle. You know. It's not in your face. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not, but I I very much feel like the moral of the story was very shoehorned in here. I, I, I don't know about that. It feels I, very I, I Audrey-esque do... to me. I mean, the moral you could also argue is if you prove yourself, you can overcome any barriers that face you. It does have an Audrey sense. I I, I don't know. It, it just, especially with all the characters yeah. going, you're horrible and weird and we don't like you, to he does one thing for Percy... And they're like, oh, you're wonderful, you're amazing. It's almost like they were expecting him to not succeed at the demonstration. Well, that that's bizarre because they've paid all this money to bring him here. They've had him shipped in, cranky unload him onto the docks. Why would he just be there to do one demonstration and then go home again? I mean, the Fat Controller must have had some sense that he belonged on the railway and that he'd stick around. I, b- I believe the Fat Controller, sure. Sir Topham, he may wholeheartedly believe in Harvey. Wholeheartedly. <laughs> Who are you, Tom Denham? <laughs> but, as soon as the I'm engine... Calling fat? What? <laughs> <laughs> Boys, calm down. As soon as the engines find out that Harvey's staying, oh, we better be nice to him. Very useful, Harvey. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean it, now, yeah. It very much feels like that just now that he's staying, they, they're being They all nice. change their opinion on a whim. Mm. Exactly. It, it doesn't feel like there's been a progression. If they weren't so blatant in their hatred or disgust of him before... I use disgust there specifically because Edward goes, he doesn't even look like an engine, which is so out of character for Edward. He was having a sick day. I... <sighs> he's, he's, he's the one of the oldest characters, so his dementia's starting to set in a bit. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> or either that or he needs his glasses. Yeah. I, I would feel that the transition from dislike to like... Would be a lot neater. Mm, yeah, it, it 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 just feels off to me there. But um, I I do have a few uh, little bits of trivia here, mm-hmm. specifically about Harvey's character design because Lachlan Denham, you were talking about the modelling aspect in this episode, yeah. and Harvey itself as a character is very unique because he has got what looks to be. A functioning crane put on him. Mm. When, I, like, Cranky is a functioning crane, sure, but as a model, this is a mobile functioning crane, and they have a close-up of the chains moving through his arm. It's mm. amazing, but that that wasn't done with like magic tricks and off-screen things, was it? That was that like were there actual servos and everything in his in his uh, in his crane? I'm fairly sure that there were, because we see his crane arm moving left and right. It's very technical. And it, it yeah, yeah. is all very, very technical. It's brilliantly well done model and character design. He's in this nice maroon and gold livery with number 27, uh, which is because he's the 27th standard gorge character introduced to the television yeah, series. Standard gorge? Uh, you said You said gorge. What 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 does what does gorge mean, Connor? Gorge, it, uh, like shortened for gorgeous. <laughs> yes. It 
means that I don't know how to pronounce certain words, and I always used to pronounce Gage Gorge oh. because the AU sound should make an OR sound linguistically, yet because English is a oh. made up language with five different languages stacked on top of each other, Gorge is not the correct pronunciation, and Gage is instead the correct pronunciation. Whereas when you gorge, that's why. when I'm going to gorge on my pie. I, I, I hate it. I um, hate it. Okay? It it comes from Old French gager, and it comes from Old Northern French This jar. is a podcast about talking trains, not the English <laughs> language. <laughs> I will go into Burr, linguistics. Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it should be gorge, but instead it's gauge, and I hate it. But his number 27, because of the 27th standard gauge, <laughs> engine introduced in the television series, and... He's got quite a unique face. Mm, he's got a big chin. He's got like a very big, big chin. And the reason why is because his face is uh, inspired by the comic book character, Desperate Dan, who's been around since the 1930s. He's I don't got... know who that is, but I totally get where you're coming from. Because like comic book characters usually have a like, like very large facial features and especially a chin. Oh, absolutely. Desperate Dan is, you know, a Wild West character, but his chin is his most prominent feature. And as here with Harvey, it is the most prominent feature. But it's Mm. still a marvellously (laughs) well-made That chin holds many secrets. Slap's chin. You could fit so many beans in this chin. Oh, beans. <laughs> yeah, let, let's move on to the scores, um, I reckon. That, it would be an opportune time to do that. Parry, since, since you're the one that brought it up. Oh, okay. Thank you very much, Connor. I would give this a 6 out of 10 because... Um, well, same issues as the last one, really. I mean, not a lot happens. Um, I mean, the accident with Percy is quite impressive, but... Uh, you know, the characterization of certain engines is just off for me, and there's not really all that much that happens in the story, so I'm giving it a 6 out of 10, as I said before. Denim? Yeah, it's an interesting one, because I think from, as we spoke towards, from a live-action technical angle, it's a really impressive episode. Um, It really shows how far that David Mitten and the team have come with their model making and operating skills. Um, but it's it's interesting with this new writer's room approach on the stories. I feel like they haven't quite nailed the characters uh, to their T, which I think is the second time we've seen this in this season already. Um, mm. But I think overall there's some great action. There's some lovely sequences. The model work is amazing. Story, I feel like with another rewrite, could have been a little bit better. So I'm going to get it for a 6.7. That's... That's 6.7. That is very, very specific. Seven. That's um, very specific. So I, I'm going to be a bit harsh on this one because it, 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 it is a good episode in regards of generic story and wonderful like crash scene as you said and brilliant modeling for the 27th standard gauge character 
but it is the mischaracterization of what will later become the Steam Team. The oh, yeah. more like the marketing team. <laughs> that really annoys me. It it it's got a bit too much of. A a mixed message. I always felt it was a mixed message. It has got some weird choppy writing. And yeah, I I agree, Denim. It could probably use another rewrite. Um, So for that, I'm going to give it a 5.5 out of 10. Okay, then. That just leaves Lachlan to offer his thoughts and his score. Uh, Well... It's very much pa- I think it's very much paced exactly like Salty Secret. It's very to the point. Like, here's Harvey. He's a crane engine. All the engines are like, ah, oh, you're different. We don't like you. And then he kind of proves them wrong. And they're like, all accepting of it. I do mm. I, I do agree with you, Connor, though, that it is a bit shoehorned. It's a bit forced. Um, but in terms of in terms of the modeling, I'm in, I'm very impressed by the model of Harvey. Um, because traditionally with the models, you've got to fit the motors that they work. You've got to fit the smoke generator. You've got to fit the eye mechanism. But then they go a little bit beyond that and fit a crane mechanism in it. And I've, all, I've always been fascinated by that model. I've been fascinated by the Dubs crane ever since I um, discovered what the, proto- the prototype was. Um, but aside from that, uh, I'd probably give this episode uh, a 7.5, I reckon. Purely because, Ooh. yeah, purely because, um, okay. yeah, mischaracterization. If they kept true to that, my score would probably be a bit higher. He's reaching the higher shelf, boys. <laughs> mm. He's, he's going to need your legs soon, Denim, to reach those high shelves. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that's that's high for normal people. <laughs> it's, wow. If, if any of you guys have ever met Denim, he, he sees above clouds. Yeah. He's tall. I, I'm, I'm, he's I'm, mega. I'm immense. <laughs> he's he's the second tallest structure in Melbourne behind the Eureka Tower, and he doesn't yeah. even live there anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you can see me on the horizon. Hi, Tom. Hi, in Melbourne, everyone. and he doesn't live there. That's how tall he is. Yeah, I, that's how immense he is. I don't know anymore. I just so. But... Yeah, but before we um move on to our musical interlude, there is one thing that uh, confuses me about the title of this story. It says it's Harvey to the rescue, but I don't know who he's rescuing. It's just oh, it, it's so confusing. I just don't know who he's supposed to be rescuing. Like ugh. Parry, yeah, yes, Parry, yes. We're going to very quickly move on to the musical interlude here before you continue that bit. So, this week's musical interlude, you may remember a little while ago we were talking about the Sodor Symphony, Thomas Reorchestrated Project by Upside Now. And I'm happy to announce that that has been completed. It is amazing and fantastic. And right now, we're going to listen to the Island of Sodor Overture from the Thomas Reorchestrated Sodal Symphony by Upside Now, also known as Nathan Taimaya. You're listening to Ryan Track Podcast. <laughs>
You just heard the Island of Sodor Overture from the Thomas Reorchestrated Project by Upside Now, a.k.a. Nathan T. Mayer. And um, Nathan, if we mispronounced your surname, I can only apologise profusely. You are listening to the Right on Track podcast. We've got the regular team of Denim, Connor and Parry here. And of course, Lachlan, who's our guest for this chapter And we're going to be moving on now to our final story of this episode. Uh, Denim, tell us about it. What are we talking about now? Yeah, uh, this this episode has a rather confusing title. It's called No Sleep for Cranky. I have no idea what could happen in this story. (laughs) Um, Oh, no. In in all seriousness, this is uh, No No. Sleep for Cranky. Um, It is another... Well, it's the first story, I guess, kind of centralized around Brendam Docks. And in the clip that we hear, Salty the Dockyard Diesel is uh, having a bit of a yakka with Cranky the Crane. Where have you been? snapped Cranky. And a good day to you too, Captain. Bill and Ben arrived for work, full of mischief. Hurry up! barked Cranky. I haven't got all day. You're no fun, grumbled Bill. You wouldn't be fun if you were stuck up here, snapped Cranky. So that's why you're cranky, said Bill. You're lonely, said Ben. I'm not, Cranky cranked. So it's company you be needing, said Salty. Reminds me of a lonely old Grand Banks lighthouse keeper. Not another one of your stories, cried Cranky. Oh, please, Salty, they chimed. We haven't heard it. "'Twas in the middle of a wee naughty storm,' Salty began. "'The likes of which you see once in a lifetime.' This made Cranky very cranky. So cranky that he swung his arm around. And dropped the pipes onto the tracks instead of the trucks. Whoops! said Cranky, meekly. You've blown the main now, matey, said Salty. The engines were trapped. You're going to get into trouble, sang Bill and Ben. This is actually the second accident involving Cranky in a shed, with the first accident occurring with a shed knocking over Cranky in the episode Cranky Bugs, and now Cranky's knocking over a shed in No Sleep for Cranky. He's out for revenge. I'm glad that you address this, Connor, because the shed, as we don't see a face, it is sentient. And I think the the shed and Cranky do have a bit of um, a push-me-pull-you relationship. And I think Cranky saw it out that he wanted to get rid of the shed once and for all. And that he did, because from here on, you never see the shed ever again. <laughs> You're uh, right in that we never see the shed ever again in that position, and I do like that continuity. The rest of it, I'll let slide for now. So, No Sleep for Cranky is by Paul Larson, and uh, what happens is it is the third episode here in the sixth series, and once again, as with the start of the previous two episodes, we get an explanation of the docks. Seriously. Oh, well, well. Better than that, though, there's this great shot in the opening which shows an unseen engine making its way along the line there, and I think we see every single one of the principal characters in that same one shot. 
Yes, yes, and that shot's later used at the intro to Down by the Docks. It is Mm -hmm. a wonderful uh, little shot there. And Mm. this third episode very much acts as the end of the arc because in this uh, episode, we not only get the Dock side, which has appeared in all three episodes so far at the start, and then Cranky saw filling in the Dock side role, you not only get Salty and Bill and Ben, who are in the first episode, you also get Harvey, who is in the second episode. Mm-hmm. So you get all the previous two episodes merging into one here for a great, beautiful piece of no sleep for Cranky. Mm, it, it's almost like we're, we're looking at the stories to an Audrey book, really. Yeah. Yes. I really like the it's... framing of that kind of trilogy that they did so commonly in the classic series. Mm. Mm. Uh, but the main hitch of this story is that Cranky doesn't get a rest. The docks are just always busy, and because he can barely sleep, he's always cranky. Yeah, that, that's where his name comes from. Uh-huh. This is the explanation why. Love the funny joke. I thought it was because he made cranky noises whenever he, you know, unloaded something. Oh, that's just rude. Well, oh, that's later addressed um, in season 21. Ah. Uh, Creaky cranky. Which, yeah, we haven't gotten up to yet. So, yeah. How, how many more years uh, before we reach that? I'll be older, fatter, and greyer then. I don't <laughs> want to know. <laughs> I'll be older, thinner, and... I, I don't know. Redhead? <laughs> I, don't, well, I, I, I don't know what happened. My hair goes neon green, actually. Glows in the dark. I'll just be old. <laughs> But, um, essentially, Cranky knocks down Shed, and then he's stuck there all night with Bill, Ben, and Salty talking, and then Harvey comes rescues them. Again, it's a very slow and simple episode. It is. Mm. Mm. There's some little nuances in the story that I do love. Like, you can tell that the modelling team have a very keen attention to detail, so the Shed is knocked over. The fact controller then comes to the scene and scolds Cranky and then tells the engines, you have to stay here tonight until Harvey can clear up this mess in the morning. But one of the things I love in this sequence is that the fact controller has to use a megaphone <laughs> to speak to Cranky yeah. because he's so high in the Tug's sky. Reference. Tug's reference. Yeah. I'm calling it. Yeah, true. Yeah. It, it is... Brilliant, but what I really like about this episode, apart from numerous little nitbits about it, is the character development, not just of Cranky, who after you know being freed is so happy, he's polite and respectful for like a few hours, and then mm. he's cranky again. But Bill and Ben, mm, they've earned because... the respect of um, Salty no, no, now. Salty's earned their respect, yes. So... I think you mean to say, yeah, the, the English language is a fickle thing, yes. It is, it is. Yeah. it's made up, like all languages, don't you know, Parry? <laughs> Says Connor, referencing an off-air discussion but... we were having. <laughs> Stand <laughs> by. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. Never. Never. Anyways, because in Salty's Secret, Bill and Ben talk about how his stories will bore us. And then here, when Salty's like, I'll tell you guys a story... Billy Ben are so happy because mm. they haven't heard that story before. 
And I just love that sweet little change that somewhere off screen, you know, over the past few days or weeks or however long it's been, Bill and Ben have grown to love Salty's stories. Mm, I, th- I think it's more them being cheeky. They know Salty's stories go on and on and on, So, and they know they're going to annoy Cranky as well, so they say, tell us a story, Salty, as a way of, you know, being cheeky. Oh, I like that idea as well. <laughs> yeah, it seems very cunning of Bill and Ben to do that. Mm. Mm. Uh, one thing we haven't mentioned as well, coming back to our discussion about Cranky Bugs, this story uses b-roll footage from cranky bugs of the the steamer crashing into docks if we all yes it also uses um thomas going underneath cranky as well with the flatbeds yes Ah. from cranky bugs it it uses a fair few bits from series five for the docks and cranky which is okay it's not as egregious as it is in series seven as we'll get to no when we get to it no, but yeah, they, we do start to see a lot of B-roll being used now in not not just as a reference or as a background thing, but as a core part that they are focusing on, such as Salty's story about the out-of-control steamship for 100 days mm. at sea. They use B-roll for But previously, they would only use B-roll if they were referencing something that occurred an event that we'd previously seen on screen, such as... Pardon me. Such as James's accident with the trucks. Or if it was just something happening in the background where they just generally spoke about life on the railway. Mm, so, t- yeah, it was typically a transition scene or a flashback scene, as you say, but I think in Series 6 we see it being integrated a lot more into the episodes. And I think... I'm going to say it. I know this is really contentious. But series six has the best B-roll footage of any season of Thomas and Friends. Ooh. Yeah, I'd say that. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, because they've shot all these little bits here specifically to fill in parts of episodes, and it, it's great. Like I love seeing all the engines passing each other and just going about their work on the island. It's it's charming. yes, yes. The 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 transition B-rolls are a thing to marvel at. Hmm. And you see some nice little oddities of characters here and there, like you have the main cast and an extending off that you have Toby, Duck, Donald, Douglas, Oliver, but then you like you get little gems like Stepney rolling by here and there. Yeah. But I have been a big nerd, my friends. What's new? For we knew that. Right <laughs> uh before because it Cranky didn't just drop didn't just drop the pipes on accident. What happens is that uh, Cranky's talking about, you know, how upset he is. Bill and Ben say, you're lonely up there. And Salty goes, ah, this reminds me of a lonely old Grand Beaks lighthouse keeper. And then as he starts to tell the story, Cranky absolutely loses his pipes, drops them and knocks down the shed in the process. That, that sounds like a euphemism, loses his pipes. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, I've lost my pipes before. <laughs> but much like how I researched Bimini, I researched the Grand Banks. And I've found what I believe to be the exact story that Salty was telling. Oh, go on. So, the Grand Banks is an island off the coast of Newfoundland. 
think of uh, North Canada. E- yeah, Northeast America, <laughs> Canada, in that border area there. And I hope that he's referencing the Grand Bank Wharf Lighthouse, which is definitely the most historical lighthouse among the Grand Banks, uh, which was built 1890. And because he mentions the uh, lonely old Grand Banks Lighthouse Keeper, I was able to get a list of only the seven or eight lighthouse keepers that actually occupied and worked at the Grand Bank Wharf Lighthouse. You what now? <laughs> so, huh, that's okay. impressive. I, I, but I'm able to tell you exactly who the lonely old Grand Bank's lighthouse keeper is. And God, what is it, Willem Dafoe? No. Is it me? <laughs> no. You know, I'm something of a lighthouse keeper myself. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you the story of a lonely old Grand Bank's lighthouse keeper. Back mm-hmm. in 1923, lighthouse keeper John Thibault was working at the lighthouse when a salt ship ran aground and bumped and crashed into the lighthouse. A bit of unexpected company, one might say. Mm-hmm. Now, this salt ship sunk, and it didn't really crash into the ship. And dam- uh, it- The salt ship sunk, and it didn't really crash into the lighthouse. Also, the front end just sort of punched a hole in it. Mm-hmm. But as the salt dissolved, the ship then floated again. It was able to move itself out of the way. Huh. Uh, yeah, no, there's an actual scientific explanation for that. Uh, it's there's because salt a... dissolves. No, no, it, salt makes things more buoyant in water. There's a oh. uh, famous lake, I think somewhere in the Middle East. Um, no matter how hard you try to sink yourself in it, you will always float back up because of the amount of salt in it. So there you go. Yeah, that, be the dead there's an actual sea, explanation it? for it. The Dead Sea, that's it. Yeah. And salt water is more buoyant than fresh water. So the, the the story that Salty was telling was, you know, cranky. He may be lonely, but he may be careful of the unexpected company of a ship coming and crashing into his lighthouse. I've, hmm. I'm really proud of the fact that I was able to find the exact story that Salty was most likely talking about. We, we are very proud of you as well, Connor, and I'm Thank sure you. all our Good listeners job, will be as well. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Never make fun of my mispronunciation of words again. <laughs> <laughs> or or okay. not realising what the secret we is in promise. Salty's secret. <laughs> Shush! <laughs> uh, we're, we're sorry. But, but for be. your sake... So... No Sleep for Cranky by Paul Larson. I like the story. It's got lots of nice details, whether intended or not. It has got a fair amount of comedy, but it is a simple, kind story, and it nicely ties a bow on the two brand new characters that we've met so far, of Harvey and Salty. Well, Harvey hasn't got much of a role. He's still quite important to the plot. Real quick, this might go go off on a tangent as well, but when Cranky makes the canopy thing collapse and the three engines are stuck there the night, couldn't they just go the other way? No, they can't. 
the yard would have been quite uh, cluttered with various bits of rolling stock, trapping them in there potentially. I, I, I'm thinking, mm. and this I know that Series 6 does away with continuity, but I think this is the one instance in where it does adhere to it because were, were they to go the other way, they would have just ended up at the China Clay pits. Ah, mm. oh, okay. Right. Because remember, Brendan oh. docks, you go north, and that becomes Edward's branch line. But if you head south, you follow along, and eventually you end up at, yeah, the mines. No, well, yeah, if you go further still and head off the rails, potentially. But, yeah. Mm. What I more so think it is, is much like how in Series 5, Cranky was positioned mm-hmm. in a siding area? Because he's a temporary crane. That's how he moved around in Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Yes. <laughs> technically, yes. Um, I, I, I very much just like to think that that area is a siding. Uh, just inside the big Sodor Shipping Co. big green building, it turns into a siding area. Mm. I believe, mm. uh, at least for this set. So that's why I feel they just couldn't escape, but that it's me rationalising it now. Right. As a child, I wondered the same thing. I guess it's the most logical answer. Yes. So the episode, rankings. Denim, you start us off. I remember watching this episode the first time it came out, and it was the very first thing I saw beyond Thomas and the Magic Railroad. I think for some reason in my mind, I thought Thomas and the Magic Railroad was going to be the last thing that we'd ever see of the brand. And I had no conception that there would be a following series because I saw no promos or trailers or anything. It was just on one morning um, because I think they were playing... Um, episodes like from series one to five just in a random cycle prior and then suddenly these series six episodes pop up out of nowhere Um, and the first exposure that I had of this series was that lovely train point of view camera shot where you go Mm. all the way through the docks Um, and I think that oh that was so cool that, that, that plays such a an emphasis on the difference of this series and that it was bigger and like more bombastic. Um, and that I like how there, there are certain beats in this episode as well that, um, I guess tie into the past, like the very, I guess, kind of prone knocking over of the shed, I guess is a kind of like, as we acknowledge a little nod to Cranky's origin story, but in quite a comedic tone rather than the grandiose, David Mitten-esque explosion-y uh, sequences that we get in Series mm. 5. Um, but as I think yeah. we've attested to, I, I really like how this kind of um, ends this chapter here and kind of ties things off really nicely. I'm going to give it... Ooh, I reckon a 9. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, okay. I am going to give it a... I'm, I'm going to give it a nine as well. It's a good story. It flows well. It's really enjoyable. Lachlan? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this story as well. It, it wraps up this... You wouldn't think of, you wouldn't really think of it as an arc, but it, it pretty much... It really is um, bringing in 
Salty and Har- uh, Harvey for, uh, I suppose, the final act of this trilogy. Um, I-, I really like the callbacks to the previous seasons. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, Sea Shanties, Things by the Sea, Salty himself, they're, they're my favourite things as well. And Cranky, I'm a huge fan of Cranky. Uh, Cranky Bucks is probably one of my favourite episodes, so that's probably why I like this episode so much. Um, I think we might give it a nine. Okay. Three nines, Parry. Ah. No pressure. Yeah. Um, mm. None at all. Parry. Okay. Oh, dear. Well, uh, I echo all the points that have been made. <laughs> I really like the accident with the shed. Uh, I think that's very well done. Great dialogue. Uh, Do you like Salty's story about John Thibault? Uh, well, well, he only hints at it. He doesn't actually, you know... You, you brought in that element, Connor. It's... Um... That... Do you like the story? <laughs> okay, you, you do... do you like the story, yes or no? <laughs> okay, yes. Yes, I do. There, are you happy? <laughs> okay, okay. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, my, my, my only complaint, again, is that, you know, it's pretty pretty simple and straightforward. There's not really a lot going on here. It, it's more just like a theatrical play, this. I mean, it's a group of characters all in one place at one time, and they don't move anywhere. So, yeah. And... Um, also, I think they're pretty lazy reusing the B-roll of that steamer crashing into the shed from Cranky Bugs. So, mm. yeah. Um, Actually, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. That validates my opinion then. I'm giving to give this an 8 out of 10. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. That's understandable, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll lower mine to an 8.5 because you mentioned the reuse of the steamer being wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, come to think of it, I, I probably will as well lower it to a <laughs> 8.5 because cause Salt, yeah, Salty's explaining something completely different, but we're seeing something we've already seen. Mm. Mm. Like, we, we mm. know it's not that's not what he's referring to. Maybe, oh, <laughs> head, deep headcanon time, maybe Ooh. we see those elements from that story because Bill and Ben could be aware of the events that happened to Duck, Henry, Gordon, and James. Oh, and yeah. that's the closest thing they could relate it to. Hence why we see those exact images again. Hmm. Or, okay, granted, you know, that you've got B-roll and so on. We need to keep in mind that as a kid, you would not recognise the same stock footage being used four years I later. did. I did. Well, yeah, but <laughs> we, we certainly watch things at a different rate compared to most people. Connor and I are little babies. Leave us alone. Mm. Okay, kids, okay, go to but... the playpen whilst the adults do the talking. <laughs> he, here is an idea that can validate the use of the B-roll. Mm. Here's the theory. From what we know about Salty, he seems to be quite a tall teller. Of tales. Which have a basis in fact as you've uncovered. He never Yes. Some may have basis in fact, but we know that he never went to Bimini. Chances are these are just stories he's heard. And he just sort of inserts himself in to make it seem more personal. He's pulling it out of his exhaust stack. Actually, you can relate this back to uh, a very famous Australian person, Mark Brandish or Reed. <laughs> yeah, he always said yeah, never let the truth get in the mm. way of a good story. And oh, even he stole exactly. that quote from someone else. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the irony. But 
It very much could be. The Salty heard the story about engines on a dockside, an out-of-control steamship that, you know, after a few storms, crashed into the pier and stopped from hitting the engines just 15 feet, 4.5 metres, away from their buffers. That could be the story of Cranky Bugs that Salty has somehow heard down the Harbourman grapevine and has just then adapted it into one of his own stories. Unaware that it is the very story that took place there. Some food for thought mm. there. Mm. Yeah. Bit of bit of mental gymnastics <laughs> for you. Some stuff to mull over as you wait for our next episode, because I'm afraid that does bring us to the end of episode 43 of the Ride on Track podcast. We do need to thank Lachlan for coming onto the podcast. And Lachlan, before we get you to plug anything that you're working on, I do have one small request from you. Can you please say the funny meme? Oh, um, oh, <sighs> right. Uh, I showed my friend your Tom's the Tank channel. <laughs> yes. Thank you, thank you. Um, yes. Oh, it's it's oh, pretty good. <laughs> with with that, um, Lachlan, is there anything that you'd like to plug that you're working on at the moment? Uh, well, okay. So I'll, I'll just plug my socials at the moment. Um, so my Instagram is Lachlan's Double O Rails, which is Lachlan's uh, underscore Double O O with the, uh, O as in zero uh, underscore Rails. Oh, that's um, you, is it? My Twitter. Yeah, that's no, me. I have no idea. Oh, have you, have you come... <laughs> oh right. Well, um, my Twitter is also Lachlan's Double O Rails, but uh, Lachlan's Zero Zero Rails, and my YouTube channel to go check that out is uh, let me get that up. <laughs> Uh, it is also Lachlan's double O rails, but Lachlan's comma S underscore double O spelled as in Hornby double O and underscore rails. Mm. Yes, I believe you're doing some reviews and insights to your model collection, yes. which are definitely worth checking out at the moment. But for the next episode, Parry, what are we going to be going over? In... Episode 44 of the Right on Track podcast, we are going to be looking at A Bad Day for Harold the Helicopter, Elizabeth the Vintage Laurie, and The Fogman, which is one of my personal favourites of this series. that's a solid episode. It is. Thank you, Lachlan, for agreeing with me. Yeah. (laughs) And we do have a guest on next week's episode as well, so do stick around to find out who that may be. Yes. Meanwhile, you can catch up... On all of our social media, such as our Instagram, TTTE underscore right on track. You can find us on our Twitter, at OnTrackThomas. You can find us on Facebook via facebook.com forward slash right on track Thomas podcast, all one word. And you can find me at your Tom's the Tang channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm included. We hope you've had a fantastic day listening to us and we look forward to you joining us next time. Meanwhile, I'm still Connor. I'm still Denim. I'm still Parry. And I'm Lachlan. And this has been the Riding Truck Podcast, guys. Adios. See you later. Bye-bye. See you later.